you for taking time to listen to this sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church and of our campus in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock a.m. at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. y'all have any idea which Sundays uh, pastors are most likely to to turn the pulpit over to somebody else? The day after Easter, the Sunday after Christmas, and Trinity Sunday, which is today. Uh, Almost every other year in the church calendar has this very simple lesson somewhere in the lectionary that gives you a very easy explanation of what is going on. Christmas Super easy, right? We all know these stories. We can, we can kind of tell them. Easter, pretty simple. Trinity Sunday is a bit of a, uh, a jump to get to where we want to land. Am I mixing my metaphors? It's a, it's a chasm to cross to get from uh, where we might start to where we end. Trinity Sunday invites us to consider a doctrine uh, that is spelled out through the witness of Scripture but that is hard to find one verse to sit and and, uh, expound upon. I've been thinking about how we've gone from our scriptures to the doctrine of the Trinity and then how we talk about it today. Our scriptures aren't even consistent in how we talk about God. That's part of our difficulty, right? If, If we had started in Genesis 1 and ended in Revelation 22 with the exact same words and names and and metaphors and imagery, it'd be pretty easy, right? That is not the case. Genesis 1, 1, Bereshit bara Elohim, in the beginning or when God began creating. We get Elohim, we get this language of God. And for uh, the bulk of this kind of beginning work, uh, our deity is just referred to as God. Simple enough, right? Uh, We journey along to the book of Exodus And Moses is at a burning bush, and he is commissioned and sent uh, to go and uh, tell the Pharaoh this thing. And he says, well, if I go to tell Pharaoh this thing, who should I say sent me? What God should I say? And uh, God says to Abraham, uh, tell him, Yahweh, uh, I am who I am. I am the one who is creating. However, we want to understand uh, kind of the translation of the, the word that we would call Yahweh. It's another set of Hebrew consonants with vowels we aren't even sure because our Jewish friends wouldn't even speak that name. That's why in uh, your English Bible, when you get to that verse, uh, they'll say, I am who I am. And then after that, you'll see Lord in all capital letters, like big L and then capital O-R-D. That is when we're talking about Yahweh. Well, go down a little bit down the story, and Israel will uh, be talking about um, kind of the different aspects of this God they know, this God who is also Yahweh. And so they'll start combining things, and they'll talk about uh, God our Lord, Elohim Adonai. This is how Amy Grant got pretty popular with El Shaddai, El Shaddai. You know, like all the names that you could use. I can't believe I just started to sing that. I got real nervous and pulled back, so um, I was ready to belt it, but then I got really 
were a little intimidated. Uh, Jacob wasn't here with me to kind of boost me up in my confidence. Uh, Adonai becomes a preferred uh, name at points for describing their God. God appears in all sorts of ways to Israel. Uh, to uh, Adam and Eve in the garden, the story almost makes him out to be enfleshed. Uh, the way Israel understood their God's nearness was that he would walk in the garden with them. When he appears to Moses, it's in a burning bush. When he appears to uh, Jacob, Jacob, right? It's a man that he's going to wrestle with and pinch his heel, um, his Achilles tendon, his something down, or his hip. No, hip. Kathy, keep me straight. Hip. Um, heels are another part of scripture. He's going to appear to Moses as kind of this uh, unviewable being on Mount Sinai. He's going to appear to Ezekiel as a four-faced, multi-winged, multi-eye-covered creature on a throne of sapphire, standing upon a floor of glass. And that's just the Old Testament. We flip to the New Testament, and uh, early on we get this picture of God who uh, is going to work through Mary to bring forth this person that will soon be named Jesus. Um, he's not Jesus before he's Jesus, right? Uh, this is his earthly name. You're going to call him Jesus, which means God saves. Um, he's going to come on the scene. He's born. He kind of grows up real fast. We like flip a page and don't even notice that Jesus went from like little baby to 12-year-old to 30-year-old man, right? But so now Jesus is out there, and some people are calling him uh, teacher, he prefers this designation of son of man because he's calling back to the prophets, some of whom uh, saw this apocalyptic scene, and this is his designation. Uh, others will, will kind of strain to get there, and they'll call him son of God. Um, uh, they call him often uh, Jesus Christ. Christ is not his last name. That's not on his birth certificate. It's a job title. Uh, it's the, it's the, the English of the Greek of the Latin to Messiah. This is his role, his uh, spot in Israel's history. He's called friend. He's called brother. He's called savior. Um, and then he begins to tell us about this next revelation of God. Just as the Father sent me, so we together will send you this spirit to be counselor and comforter, to abide with you and to bring my peace to you. We're pretty comfortable with Pentecost and the picture of the Holy Spirit falling upon uh, this first set of Jewish believers. Uh, and then we begin to kind of wade into Paul's writings, right? Paul is not helpful as a systematic theologian. He is a pastor writing to some people. Because Paul is not as precise as I would like him to be. Often when he is writing, he'll talk about God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. But there's a problem with that. Do you know where I'm going? Jesus and the Holy Spirit are also God, right? It'd be ideal if he would talk about, you know, the first person of the Trinity out there, or um, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so we have to search Paul and read his text in context to find what he understands to be a, a, a theology of God. When often he talks about God, he's talking about the first person of the Trinity, the God, the Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He will talk about the divinity of Jesus without saying that Jesus is also God, and then he'll uh, pour out this uh, kind of prayer that the Holy Spirit would move. And if we're tracking through Paul, we quickly jump through those general epistles that none of y'all really read a lot, do you? Like First and Second Peter, First and Second, Third John, like those little short ones at the end that if you flip your page 
too fast, you move past them. James is going to talk a lot about God as, um, as um, one who hears our prayers and one who expects our behavior to change. And then you flip to Revelation. That's right. On one page of Revelation, we talk about God the Father as this one who is reigning in heaven with the elders seated around him. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, before we know it, Jesus is on the scene writing letters to the churches. And then we're going to hop over to the next part to a, a divine throne room where Jesus at one point is the Lion of Judah. And then immediately in the next clause, we don't even get a sentence break, we get a clause break. Uh, they, they say, and I turned and looked, and he was the lamb that was slain. We're going to get all these other pictures of, uh, as the, of Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, this uh, part of God who is a, uh, a warrior and going to ride in on the stallions, and we get a picture of Jesus as one who is the judge, and he's going to be up there, up there, out there. Um, see, a precision of language is important, not up there, out there. Uh, doing judgment at the end of days. And then we get pictures of God uh, coming down and bringing heaven to earth, dwelling in the midst of humanity such that we don't need the sun and the moon because the brightness of God is going to shine uh, throughout. Happy Trinity Sunday. Uh, we have this doctrine that we've heard a lot about that God is three in one. God is fully God. The Father is fully God. The Son is fully God, and the Spirit is fully God. And uh, yet they are three distinct things, right? But you can't separate them because if you do, you're now a heretic. Uh, so we have God who is three in one and one in three. And we do our best to try to explain this using metaphors and analogies and similes, right? I know you're a little bit away from the piano. Can you give me a C chord? Can you give it to me note by note? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And now can you play the chord? All right, so the Trinity is like a chord, right? It's three distinct notes, but it's also a chord. It's, uh, no, that's actually a heresy. Uh, I am a husband, a father, and a pastor, Right? Nope, that's also heresy because that's, uh, that's modalism. I appear as a father and as a... Oh, it's like, it's like water. You know, it's ice and water and steam, also modalism. There's a great YouTube video of people, uh, this little cartoon character, trying to explain the Trinity by analogy. And it just never works. It's old Patrick. If you want to, I was going to put it on the screens, but Facebook would shut me down so fast that we would never live stream again if we put that video up there because uh, of copyright stuff. But this idea that we want to explain the Trinity using metaphors just breaks down because there is nothing like how we understand the Trinity. We can try to get close, and it's probably a helpful endeavor to, to kind of go and, and try to explain. The church is all about explanation, right? We, we first wrestled with uh, how Jesus can be fully God and fully human at the same time, and we came up uh, with this doctrine of homeosusus that uh, gets kind of poured out in our Apostles' Creed and in our Nicene Creed. These creeds are primarily to deal with the heresies about Jesus. Did you know there was a third creed that I've never made us read on a Sunday, and you, you're thankful for that? 
there's an Athanasian Creed. This creed was written a little bit down the road, and its purpose was to try to defend the Trinity. Uh, you can see the jump to be pretty easy for people to think that the Christians were polytheists, right? We worship that God out there, that Jesus that was over there, and the Holy Spirit who is in here, right? And so uh, the, the early church is trying to defend their monotheistic view of God as one person. I'm going to read you the Athanasian Creed, and I'm going to ask you to just savor it and breathe. It is not short, uh, but this is the church's gift to us on Trinity Sunday. Whoever desires to be sh- saved should above all hold to the Catholic faith. Anyone who does not keep it whole and unbroken will doubtlessly perish eternally. Now this is the Catholic faith. That we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither blending their persons nor dividing their essence. For the person of the Father is a distinct person, the person of the Son is another, and that of the Holy Spirit, still another. But the divinity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one, their glory equal, and their majesty co-eternal. What quality the Father has, the Son has, and the Holy Spirit has. The Father is uncreated, the Son is uncreated, the Holy Spirit is uncreated. The Father is immeasurable, the Son is immeasurable, the Holy Spirit is immeasurable. The Father is eternal, the Son is eternal, and the Holy Spirit is eternal, and yet, They're not three eternal beings. There's but one eternal being. So too, there are not three uncreated or immeasurable beings. There is but one uncreated and immeasurable being. Similarly, the Father is almighty. The Son is almighty and the Holy Spirit is almighty. Yet there are not three almighty beings, but there is one almighty being. Thus the Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. Yet there are not three gods, there is but one God. Thus the Father is Lord, the Son is Lord, the Holy Spirit is your Lord. Yet there are not three lords, there is but one Lord. Just as Christian truth compels us to confess each person individually as both God and Lord, so Catholic religion forbids us to say that there are three gods or lords. The Father was neither created uh, nor made nor begotten from anyone. The Son was neither made nor created. He was begotten from the Father alone. The Holy Spirit was neither made nor created nor begotten. He proceeds from the Father and the Son. Accordingly, there is one Father, not three fathers. There is one Son, not three sons. There is one Holy Spirit, not three Holy Spirits. Nothing in the Trinity is before or after. Nothing is greater or smaller in their entirety. The three persons are co-eternal and co-equal with each other. So in everything, as was said earlier, we must worship their Trinity in unity and their unity in their trinity. Anyone then who desires to be saved should think thus about the trinity, but it is necessary for eternal salvation that one also believe in the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ faithfully. Now this is the true faith that we believe and we confess that our Lord Jesus Christ, God's Son, is both human and God equally. He is God from the essence of the Father, begotten before time, and he is human from the essence of his mother, born in time. Completely God, completely human with a rational soul and human flesh, equal to the Father as regards to divinity, less than the Father as regards to humanity. 
Although he is God and human, yet Christ is not two, but one. He is one, however, not by his divinity being turned into flesh, but by God's taking humanity to himself. He is one, certainly not by the blending of his essence, but by the unity of his person. For just as one human is both rational soul and flesh, so too the one Christ is both God and human. He suffered for our salvation. He descended to hell. He arose from the dead. He ascended to heaven. He is seated at the Father's right hand. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. At his coming, all people will arise bodily and give an accounting of their own deeds. Those who have done good will enter eternal life, and those who have done evil will enter eternal fire. This is the Catholic faith. One cannot be saved without believing it firmly and faithfully. You get why we don't put this in the bulletin every week, right? I know we added the one line, or we brought back the one line that Wesley deleted from the Apostles' Creed, and it was a big deal, right? Whenever we do the Nicene Creed, I know it it can feel a little bit long. Uh, The Athanasian Creed takes up two full pages of eight and a half by 11 paper at eight point type, single spaced, uh, because this is the only way the church has known to fully explain the Trinity. And yet we keep we keep explaining, right? We, we might can't uh, get it precise, but we can talk about what we know. We know the love of God. We know the salvation of Jesus Christ. We know uh, the compassion of the Holy Spirit and the nearness. And I just called the first person of the Trinity God. I heard myself mess up there. First person of the Trinity, uh, God the Father. The Athanasian Creed is not our tool to go into the world to explain the Trinity. The tool to go into the world is to show our love and joy, to bear witness to what our Trinitarian God has done in and through us, to go forth and declare that even though it's mysterious and hard to explain, our God who loves us loves the world. There is no catechetical test before we take you in on membership where you have to recite the Athanasian Creed, is there? Instead, do we declare that Uh, Do you believe in God? Do you love him? Do you trust in him and flee from uh, the evil? Um, I'm thankful for uh, this witness of the church to explain the Trinity, but I'm more thankful for the way God has worked in through my life and in and through your lives. Trinity Sunday uh, stands in the gap of seasons for us. We have Pentecost Sunday, and then uh, starting next week, we just jump into ordinary time where we uh, kind of explore the life of the church Trinity Sunday sits in the middle as as, uh, this pondering moment to consider who God is and whose we are. God, uh, unity and Trinity, Trinity and unity. God, the one who created us, the one who uh, redeemed us, the one who sustained us. The God who loves you and loves me and loves our world. May you go in the knowledge of this love and in the knowledge of this God. Amen? Would you pray with me? God, so many of us want to be able to explain things rationally. We want the metaphor. We want the analogy. We want the uh, easy thing that we can hold firm to. And yet, um, in many ways, we hold firm to a relationship and to the love that you have poured out upon us, the love that you have modeled within yourself, and the love that we have uh, together. Lord, would you uh, 
Help us go and bear witness to your love in the world. Would you lavish us with your grace at this table that even uh, when our words fail us, our life bears witness to you. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Amen and amen.